0: Welcome to The Colby Cast, Episode 19. Glad you could join us. In today's conversation, Hope and Bonnie interview Father Paul Hedman, a priest in the Diocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, and a Colby alumnus. Additionally, they are joined by Father Paul's mother, Sharon. Homeschooling families of all stripes will relate to their dual perspective story, but it is especially poignant and inspiring for those who are just beginning their home education journey. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in tenth, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger
2: sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt, Bonnie's Kids.
1: We are very happy today to welcome some of the extended Colby family. We have Father Paul Hedman and his mom, Mrs. Sharon Hedman joining us. Welcome to the Colby Cast. Thanks so much for coming to visit with us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us on.
1: Yes, yeah, thank you very much. We've been looking forward to visiting with you all, both of you and getting to know you a little bit better. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourselves. We'll start with you, Mrs. Hedman.
3: I've been married for 30 years, have four children. Father Paul is our second, and our oldest is living in Madison, and the other two are still at home going to college. Wonderful. Wonderful. Father Paul, tell us about yourself.
0: Yeah, so uh, I am the youngest priest of the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis up here in Minnesota. As my mom said, the second of four kids uh, grew up doing Colby uh, kindergarten through 12th grade all the way through. Uh, The reason that I'm the youngest priest in the diocese is because when I was four, I was like, Mom, teach me how to read. And she's like, well, I guess we can start you a year early. That I graduated (laughs) early and started college at 17. And because of that, I have a trophy that sits on my desk, a pacifier that says youngest priest in the archdiocese. That's
1: awesome. That's pretty funny. And I (laughs) I embrace it. I'm
0: like, yep, I'm the youngest (laughs) that comes with ups and downs, but I embrace it.
1: So you grew up doing Colby, your your whole... K through 12 experience. That's fantastic. Do you have a favorite memory or a favorite experience?
0: You know, uh, I would serve daily mass as a kid, Mm -hmm. and we'd leave the house, me and my dad, at like 6.15 on those days where I'd have to go to daily mass, and I'd kind of chuckle at the public school students who would be sitting on the, you know, side of the road waiting for the bus in the cold and snow, you know, just knowing that I don't have to do that. When I'm not serving daily mass in these weeks, I can wake up at 7.30 and there, there's always kind of that bonus. Uh, and then just being able to set my own schedule, especially in high school. to you know, I'd start at nine, be done by one, you know, or uh, be able to kind of make things work for uh, what worked for me the best, sometimes to my mom's chagrin, because I drop 10 assignments on her desk at the end of the week instead of spreading them out. But the flexibility of everything was certainly uh, just just great.
1: That seems to be a common favorite thing when we talk to folks who've been homeschooled, the flexibility and the ability to really uh, get into what you're into and the opportunity to go to daily mass, serve daily mass, to be able to do that. That's that's fantastic. (laughs) And it's your good humor about where you're going that early in the cold. Mrs. Hedman, have you used Colby for a long time? I
3: think I figured it out once. It was like 23 years between, so we have four kids are basically 10 years apart. So I think it worked out to be 23 years that I was, I was homeschooling. The first year with our oldest, there was no defined kindergarten program. It was just a list of, well, here's some good resources you can use and go to it type of thing. Because at that point, you know, most, most states don't require kids to be in School at age five, so they didn't have a defined curriculum. But then, as more states were started requiring kindergarten, then Colby developed
1: their program. So, at this point in your homeschooling experience, do you have anything looking back that you would say, I wish I had known this? Or do you have some tried and true, this is what works well for you? What have you found along
3: the way? I was always kind of jealous of Mm. the mothers that were more loosey goosey and said, oh, it's a nice day. We're just going to take the half day off and we're just going to go do this. But I am a recipe person, which my husband will agree with that. I can't do anything if I don't have a defined list of what to do. So Colby had these subjects. This was stuff that was supposed to be done. This is what we were going to do. I mean, I did manipulate it some, but basically it was, gosh, we have to do math today. How can we skip math? You know, I... I had to check my boxes off that I always thought it would be nice to be one of those more free spirited mothers. And it's like, it's nice. We're just going to take a half day off and we're going to go for a walk. We're going to go to the park and whatever. Uh, You're singing my song. I'm very
1: much like, here's our recipe. I really like that term for it. I'm going to borrow that if if I may.
2: (laughs) Are you more of the structure person or like you mentioned, like, like had that work out for you?
0: Yeah, very much not as much of a, a structure person. I mean, I liked having, you know, kind of the list of stuff that, okay, here's what I have to do, but to do it in any sort of like, uh, I'm going to do this and then do this and then do this. You know, my younger brother, Stephen, he's very like precise like that, but I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get this stuff done eventually. You know, if you look at my desk in my office at the parish, it, there's not like a, a, a structure there.
1: And you know where it all is. It sounds like, you're
0: good. It'll, it'll keep Yeah, it'll, I'll, it'll I'll get to it when it needs to get gotten to, you know?
1: As you were finishing high school, did you know at that time that you would like to eventually go to seminary? How did that come about?
0: No, that was pretty much the the last thing on my mind in high school. Uh, well, when I was like really little, I wanted to be a priest. And you got these pictures of me walking around pretending to say mass and stuff. Uh, high school was uh, not the time when I was thinking about that. High school was the time when I was thinking about girls. Uh, And high school is also a time where I was getting into just a little bit more conflict with my parents. You know, they wouldn't let me play video games for four hours a day. So I kind of resented them for that. Uh, So when the opportunity came for me to go to college, I was like, you know, there's this small Catholic college in Iowa called Loris College. It's uh, like six hours away. So it's not too far, but also not too close either. And most importantly, no language requirement. So I didn't have to continue doing uh, (laughs) Latin. Uh, or Spanish <laughs> or whatever uh, college language requirements. So I was like, well, I'll go there to study computer science. And so that's where I was for my freshman year before I entered seminary. Nice.
2: What freshman year?
0: So over Christmas break, there, were, there was a very long story, just a lot of stuff in my personal life. But over Christmas break my freshman year, I think it was the fourth Sunday of Advent. I've been an altar server since fourth grade, ever since they let me at my parish. So it was Christmas break of my freshman year of college. And uh, I was altar serving at my home parish. And When my pastor elevated the host after the consecration, I just got this huge, like unmistakable, booming feeling in my heart. Like I want to do that. And it was just like this answer to prayers where I was just kind of feeling like, really like, I don't know what I'm doing right now in my life. Like, and just hearing that, just like this unmistakable, like I hadn't thought about priesthood for years at this point. And then all of a sudden, like when my pastor elevated the Eucharist, it was just this boom. And I was like, well, okay. So I went back down for that second semester, uh, studying computer science and as i said it's a catholic college so i joined a discernment group down there we'd meet once a month and talk about uh this book to save a thousand souls about discerning the priesthood and through that uh just going to that group there were still questions on my mind like well do i transfer back up to minnesota and go to seminary up there or do i join the archdiocese of dubuque down here in iowa or do i just wait until i'm done with college and then enter seminary or maybe what happened at Mass was just a figment of my imagination and I should ask this girl out. So there was a, a lot going on in my mind there. And then at a, a daily Mass, a Saturday morning Mass at a parish just down the road from the college, I was praying about all this. This lady came up to me after Mass and she said, when I shook your hand at the sign of peace, God told me to tell you that He's directing your discernment and he's going to lead you wherever he wants you to go. And I was like, whoa, okay then. Uh, So that gave me a bit of peace to just kind of let go and let God. uh, And I had just the absolute honor of being able to, I was able to track down that lady a couple months ago and send her a message and say, hey, like you're the reason that, I'm a priest kind of right now, you know, you were one of the major reasons that I am where I am today. And so that was a a real blessing to be able to do. So after that freshman year, I uh, applied to the seminary. And I remember I got back from finals week on like, a, I think it was a Friday and I got home at like six in the evening. And I went to my mom, and I'm like, hey, mom, cut my hair. I got an interview tomorrow for seminary, and I had some shaggy hair back then. So uh, she gave me a haircut, and I had my interview the next day, and like a month later, I got accepted. So,
1: Wow. That's tremendous. What was that like for you, Mrs. Hedman, watching him go through that process, the discernment process,
3: and experience these clear signs like this? I can remember we bought this miniature mass set for Paul, and Paul would pray, play priest. And even, I think, like in sixth or seventh grade, I was flustered about something. And I contacted Celeste Kalar and, and I said, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. And, and he wants to be, be a priest. This isn't going to look good. I think it was, it was his grammar or something that I was just absolutely frustrated with. And
0: sure. It wasn't then, my handwriting.
3: Yeah, that too. And then like I said, it kind of petered out through when we got into high school and, you know, they have all these nice stories where the Moms crying as they drop off the kid at college. It was like, No, good riddance. I was happy. <laughs> he had them out of my hair. <laughs> and Paul probably felt the same way, relief that my I was out of his hair. So when he was thinking about the priesthood, it was a surprise, but it wasn't really because that's had always kind of been when he was growing up. At some point in the process and, and throughout his whole priesthood, sometimes I would, I would cry that he was going to be a priest because of I know priests are going to be on the front line and there's more and more religious persecution and you know priests are being killed in France and wherever. And it's like, I don't want that for my son, but I'm not going to tell him he can't be a priest because if that's what God wants him to be, and if he's called to be a martyr, well, I guess that's what needs to be done. Wow,
1: the complete surrender that you've shown throughout to support him in his vocation, that's that's very inspiring. You were telling us about this mask kit. Tell me more about the one that you found that you really liked.
3: I don't remember if I found it first online or if it was at a homeschool conference, but it was from a place called Our Father's House, and they still sell them now it's like the whole great big thing but when when i bought the stuff for for paul it was more piecemeal you could buy just the chalice you could buy just the bells you could buy just the the sensor thurf or whatever it's called whereas now it's more of a complete set except the monstrance i think the monstrance you can still buy separately and at the at one point they even had a tabernacle and i Commented, and it's like wow, they even have a tabernacle, Paul. And he goes, really? Can I get it? It's like, no. <laughs> that, would, that would that would have cost way too much. Most of the pieces are are brass, but there's little cruets in it. And Paul's broke, so then we had to find something else to work. And he still has it. He, it was kind of funny. He and then I made some little vest priest vestments too. And he gave one of the set of priests, um, the chasuble away. And then he kept one. And then one day he sent me a picture. He goes, Mom, I'm practicing. Cats. This is when he was at the seminary. And then he had, had that little vestment on that, you know, only went down to about mid-chest. Mid and it's like, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember the, I got the, the Monstrance was my 11th birthday present. I remember that very distinctly. I also... Very distinctively remember breaking that cruet the day that I got it. Very traumatic experience for me. But I I still remember it. I still remember that. But yeah, there's another homeschooling family that we've known for a while. And one of their kids, uh, I don't even remember exactly how old he is, but uh, uh, he was at my teaching parish in seminary. I was assigned to their parish. And just seeing his enthusiasm for priesthood and altar serving, I gave him this little cassock that I had, and I gave him the vestment set. Uh, or one of them because I still have one.
3: The cassock was actually made by um, a homeschooling mother who succumbed to breast cancer but when her son outgrew it she said at a homeschool court meeting does anybody want this cassock and it's like yes you know I almost leapt across the table to get it from her (laughs) and then one of the things that Paul gave away to this um, family that he was talking about at his teaching parish was our Homeschool co-op, they have something called Saints and Scholars. Uh, usually, every year around All Saints Day, where the kids portray saints and then give like about a minute monologue about the saint, and speaking as if you were that saint, you're dressed up like the saint. And so Paul was John Paul II twice. Once he was it as like narrating the as all of the other children were coming out, and then he was. By that time, he had grown quite a bit. So I gave it back to my mother-in-law who made it. And she added a bunch of fabric to the bottom and to the sleeve so that he could fit into it.
0: And the mass sleeve. kit is still even getting used today because uh, I'll go into the school at my parish and I'll uh, sort of explain, you know, the mass to him using this little mass kit. Uh, I'll be like, this is a chalice. This is a saboria, This is these are the altar cloths, you know. And I actually have a, a real portable altar that uh, I had made that I can use to celebrate mass when I'm on hikes or camping or stuff like that. And so I bring that in. But then I bring all the, the toy mass stuff to to show them in the classrooms. So still getting used even today.
2: Very cool. I had a question going back a little earlier to our discussion. I was really intrigued in it. I thought it was refreshing to hear that you guys mentioned like, being glad to be out of each other's hair. Sometimes, and I think that that is a very common experience, but not one that's talked about a whole lot, especially with homeschooling high schoolers. There's this idea of like, oh, if there's friction, we're doing something wrong or whatever. And we've had podcast guests who' they've described their experience as very reflective and very leisurely. That is awesome for some people. And then for other people, when our mom and I were doing Colby, I think we spanned both ends of the spectrum where like sometimes it was, wonderful and great and then other days it was kind of a I love you a lot but I don't like you today and we're just going to go to opposite sides of the house and get our stuff done and so I uh, thank you guys for for sharing that experience because I think that that's very authentic and hopefully it's
3: encouraging to people who may be right there right now. We have a public school about what a mile mile and a half from our house and there were days when I looked at Father Paul and I said I can't take it anymore. Uh, we're, we're going to the school and I'm going to register you. And he go, no, no, I'll behave.
0: Really? I'll behave. Don't do that. And then I behave for a few weeks and then go back to my antics. <laughs> but yeah, but no, it, it's, and, it's good to be able to share experiences like this. Cause especially like just for any sort of struggle that you go through, like, you know, struggles that I'm even having in the priesthood or in seminary, or like, it's always good to be able to hear that other people are going through it too even if they don't have the solution to it just to hear that other people are having that same sort of struggle just it helps you know you're not alone in that yeah it's okay it's okay for everything to not be okay sometimes so
3: it's okay Absolutely. not to be that perfect family that homeschools around the kitchen table with every child diligently working like you see in the magazines
1: yeah sometimes we compare what we see, the best of forward other, of other folks with what is interior with us, right? And so we can't know their interior, obviously. So I was just going to ask kind of how your Kobe background father intersected
2: or supported or was a foundation for your seminary studies.
0: Yeah, I think I don't know, There's a, there's a few different ways, like study habits, just being able to very independently be able to learn. So to be able to, you know, take what I learned in class and to be able to you know, absorb it and work on it well, like uh, I always did pretty well uh, in classes when I actually put the effort in. Uh, and even when I didn't put the effort in, I didn't do terribly. So uh, I think just having those study habits and just school habits from Colby on homeschooling really helped out. Having the basic background of Latin from having studied Latin for, I don't know, four years with Colby three in middle school and one in high school, uh, I think it really helped. Uh, I just I started out in Latin one in seminary, but I still had kind of a background where I knew kind of what was going on, so that kind of helped me out. What else? I mean, just having sort of a, a classics liberal art education going into studying philosophy in the college seminary helped out because I kind of knew some of the stuff already, kind of just had the background for how to read some of these texts. And it really helped compared to people who are coming in from uh, public schools who didn't really have as much experience reading that sort of stuff. So
1: I'd love to hear more about your um, involvement in theater.
0: Yeah. So from a very young age i I always liked i was in the, the saints and scholars program that was talked about earlier like even like very young even before i played the pope i think the very first time that i did it i think the very first year they did it it wasn't called saints and scholars it was called heroes of history so instead of dressing up as a saint like someone dressed up as betsy ross i remember some you know just other historical figures and i dressed up as a priest uh just generic priest and so that was my stage debut And then through our homeschool co-op, all throughout middle school and high school, I was involved in a number of uh, theater productions that our homeschool co-op did. There's a local Catholic high school called Chesterton Academy that is probably 50% homeschoolers whose moms got sick of homeschooling them in eighth grade, is kind of (laughs) safe to say, I think. And so when they were first starting, they didn't quite have enough students to put on a full production themselves. So they asked the local homeschool co-op who most of their own students were former members of to help out as well. So I was involved in uh, theater there and then my first year of college, I was involved in three productions, one of which uh, our our J term class, our January term class, we actually wrote a play, uh, one act play, you know, maybe about 45 minutes long uh, over the course of January and then put it on the first week of spring semester. Uh, During seminary, I didn't have as much opportunity to get involved in theater. Uh, in college seminary. But then once I got to the major seminary, got to be involved in theater because they put on shows there. A lot of them uh, originals. But by the time that I got there, we did Hamlet uh, was my first year. And then uh, the next year, there wasn't a show. But the year after that was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So that was a real f- joy to be in. I got my own solo. I sang those came. And then this past year, I was set to direct 12 Angry Men. And then the pandemic hit. So we had to, we weren't able to put it on. But we got two months into practice and realized, well, I don't think this is going to happen. But really look forward to, you know, any sort of other opportunities that I have in the future. I think I think it really prepared me for public speaking in a way, because I was comfortable being able to get up in front of people and, and talk. So being kind of a you know, having that stage presence is important. You know, you don't want to think of like the liturgy as theater, but it's but it's a drama that's happening up there, you know, uh, the drama of the passion, the Last Supper uh, happening up there. So being able to have a decent stage presence, so to speak, is a good thing.
1: I, I've heard you all mention your co-op a number of times, so I'm really curious to hear how you made co-op work with Colby. How did, how did that work?
3: Well, our co-op, they... Co-op isn't probably the best word. I forget how they rephrase it now. It's more usually monthly meetings for the mothers of some sort. And then there's like the play, the saints and scholars. They have, they don't call it a science fair. It's a project fair in March where the kids, if they're studying a particular thing, they can do a display board of it.
0: Yeah, it was really more of a sort of homeschool social club than a uh, yes. sort of traditional co-op with, uh, you know, parents pooling together, teaching resources and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But
1: so was it your parish or was it kind of like a geographical kind of? Yeah,
3: it's a nearby by parish. The parishioners themselves weren't localized. It's a very orthodox parish. They threw Latin in a lot of the masses. And, and so they were kind of like a haven for people who wanted a good Orthodox parish. And so there was a homeschool group. Actually, one of the Colby advisors, her family was in the co-op for a while. That was kind of interesting. Remember, I kept seeing these emails, that name's familiar. And it's like, oh, that's why it's familiar. Did your family? Yep, yeah, that was my family. Parents would organize field trips to, for like plays or um, Minnesota orchestra for more for activities rather than for do your science class or your math class or- Nice. No. Like that. that sounds like it a, a really
1: paired nicely with the Colby studies. And I'm curious to hear how people make co-ops work with their Colby studies. So hearing your description of it and your social group, that's the community that you formed around that, that sounds really, really neat. I'd really be interested to hear your, well, your perspectives on homeschoolers and parish life. Do you have homeschoolers in your parish who you're serving now?
0: You know, it's kind of difficult to meet parishioners. Uh, but yeah. our permanent our permanent deacon, uh, he actually has nine kids. Uh, the youngest was just born a couple of weeks ago, and, and they do homeschool. So I know of at least one homeschooling family uh, in the parish.
3: Mm-hmm. The teaching parish where um, Father Paul was assigned There were a number of families from our homeschool co-op that went there. So as soon as I found out that's where he was going, I sent this email, I said, guess where Paul is going? And they were like, oh, right. They were so excited that they were going to get to see him practice being a priest sort of because our, the seminary in St. Paul, they assign teaching parishes. So over the four years that you're there in major seminary, well, Paul can probably get into that. They, they kind of teach them various aspects of parish life so that when they start being a priest, it's not like it's just all dumped on them and unfamiliar
0: we go out to our teaching parishes uh, once a week during the week. So to RCIA or faith formation or youth group or parish council, finance council, you know, and then one weekend a month, we'd be there. At least two masses, sometimes all the masses, sometimes, you know, you stay the whole weekend. That's when I would preach as a deacon. I would go out there once a month and preach the whole weekend at that parish until the pandemic came. Yeah. So getting a real experience of parish life so that it's not all just academic formation, you know.
3: There is a number of families there. And one of the boys, he's now in college, but that Paul had been in some of the his some of the plays with, he was so excited, he says, I've got Paul booked for my wedding. He goes, all I need to do is find the girl now.
1: (laughs) I would be interested in in kind of your thoughts about how homeschoolers integrate into parish community.
3: Well when when Father Paul and our oldest were there were a lot of homeschool kids. And at one point Paul mentioned altar serving. At one point, most of the daily mass altar servers, if not all of them, were homeschooled boys just because of the, the time schedule, and which is kind of odd. So our parish does have a school, but except for the weekly school mass, the the servers were homeschooled boys, so that was one way they integrated into parishes because they served at mass, and so people knew our family because we were always there. And I lectured, and when our oldest hit 14 and was in high school, and he started lecturing, and so we were like in their faces all the time. We were we were not faded into the woodwork. Our family was in the middle mm-hmm. of things.
0: And even though we didn't do faith formation uh, until confirmation, we were really involved in the parish youth group. All of my siblings. Uh, so we do all sorts of stuff. We we certainly weren't your non-socialized homeschoolers, as is the stereotype. We we are involved in the parish youth group pretty heavily, so we do that as well.
2: Father, what's your perspective on it from the pastoral side now? Like,
0: uh, as a priest, I have to. I'm kind of obliged to be happy when the parish school no- numbers go up, but you know, I'll always love when there are homeschoolers because <laughs> I know that the homeschooling families are really ones that you can count on. I know that the homeschool kids are going to be awesome. Uh, and obviously, you know, parents are the primary educators of their children. That's what the catechism says. So if a family feels called to homeschool, uh, you know, it's obviously not for everyone, but if a family feels called to homeschool, uh, that's beautiful. But if they feel called to send the kids to my parish school, you know, that's, uh, certainly great as well. So
2: very diplomatic of you. <laughs>
1: that was very Yes. Struck that balance quite nicely. <laughs> I was going to ask if you have any particular, uh, practices that you guys would
3: observe for Advent as a homeschooling family or heading into Advent. At some point, I don't remember when this started, but I bought like this felt Jesse.
0: The felt one is for Lent. For we have Lent. a real mini Christmas tree for our Jesse tree.
3: Yeah, that's right. The felt the felt one is for is for Lent. Yes, we have a have a Jesse tree. And so this originally also came from our father's house. I don't know if they still it it was this little, little book and then it had like some Xerox pages where you could make paper ornaments. So I cut those out. We pasted them on purple paper. And then our father's house, they offered brass ornaments one year. They ordered them, but not all that they didn't like the way some of them turned out. So there was not an ornament for every day. And then I started buying like decorative, but we have a cross stitch shop here in Minnesota. Used to have a couple of them and then, so I, so our Jesse tree now is a, a weird combination of paper ornaments that we couldn't find anything for, brass ornaments that came from our father's house and buttons that I've managed to pick up and and sewed onto purple felt.
1: It sounds beautiful. We do the Jesse tree also, and we several years ago participated in a swap where everybody signed up and made. Who made it? Was, I roped Hope into doing it with me. We made it a Joseph ornament and, the stem of jesse also we use a book that's different than the sheet that they came up with whoever organized the swap so i still am on the hunt for a few ornaments and so we have this these ornaments from the swap we have some that i have just found various places for the various days so your your jesse tree sounds beautiful too i love how the significance of it
2: so i have two different questions the first is father we're recording an episode with current colby 10th graders thing's gonna come out in December. And so now I'll ask you, like what would you say to your tenth grade self or what would you say to current tenth graders?
0: That was a very, I mean, a, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of conflict with my mom in tenth grade. I would have hopefully tried to I would have told a lot of stuff to my tenth grade self, or you know, would I have? I don't know, because I learned from all those experiences. I'm not sure I'm I, that's a good question because I'm not sure what all I would, you know, be like, hey, don't do this, because, you know, I did learn a lot uh, from those negative experiences as well. But I just say, you know, work on your prayer life, be close to the Lord, you know, make it a, make it a priority to be able to start your day and end your day with, with prayer to say, you know, when you wake up, like, okay, Lord, here's what I'm looking forward to today, here's what I'm not looking forward to today, uh, and then end the day with, you know, looking back on the day, reflecting to where you were close to the Lord and where you were far from Him, and just having a, a solid foundation of a prayer life can really help when uh, things get a lot more difficult, just being able to have that foundation to fall back on. So that'd be that'd be one thing. And be nice to your parents.
2: And if Bonnie's children are listening to this, we didn't pay him to say that.
0: They, they did not. Uh, so, <laughs>
2: Thank you. <laughs> so my other question is about being young adults in 2020, like social media.
0: Yeah. Well, being a young adult in 2020 is certainly kind of difficult because 2020 is... 2020. Uh, it's sure. really hard to to socialize to find that community that you know young adults really really want. And so f- being able to have uh, even people on social media that you can reach out to, I've made good friends with people over social media, met up with people who I've met originally on social media. And so being able to have friends in that way, and then also just being able to find ways to spread the gospel in new ways, because lo- there's a lot of people on Twitter who aren't Catholic, but it's a pretty public forum for the most part, if you have your account unlocked and, you know, you can have all sorts of people just, you know, your tweet shows up in their timeline for some reason or another, and it might get them asking questions about Catholicism or about the priesthood or or whatever, you know? So it's a great way to kind of reach out and show, hey, you know, Catholics are normal, homeschoolers are normal. Uh, It certainly can get to be a time drag. Again, as I said, you know, my mom had to keep me from playing four hours of video games in high school. And that's still something that I struggle with is, you know, having a moderate amount of computer usage. But it certainly can be used well if used in moderation.
1: Tedman, what would you say to the mom you were when you had 10th graders, maybe your first or second 10th graders?
3: I don't know. I mean, like I said before, I always look at the homeschool moms are a little bit more loosey-goosey as I call it and that they're a little bit more free and they're not so uptight I'm kind of an uptight person and want to cross all my t's and dot all my i's and so maybe just just remember you don't have to finish the book because you never finished a math book when you were going to school in public school <laughs> you don't have to finish that math book just go with the flow a little bit more but I'm not I'm not very good at that <laughs> Well, it sure has been fun
1: visiting with you both and hearing your experiences. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to?
3: My cell phone went off when we were talking here, and that was actually a COVID alert that our our archdiocese has set up text messages that they send out um, whenever a priest goes out to do a COVID anointing for someone who is near death. And actually. Uh, Father Paul joined what's called the COVID Corps, so he can kind of tell you about that a little bit.
0: That's true, yeah. Early on in the pandemic, before I was even ordained a priest, they asked for priests who were under 50, uh, not pastors, who were associates or had non-pastoral assignments. They asked for volunteers who would go out to anoint those who were dying of COVID using uh, full like medical PPE with like N95 masks, face shields, and hospital gowns, and all of that. So some of my friends were trained in in that. And then when I got ordained, I thought, well, uh, this seems like the right thing to do. You know, I'm young, the youngest, as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and and healthy. So I figured, well, if there's not much going on at the parish because there's a pandemic going on, I might as well volunteer to do this. Those things certainly have sped up once the school year started. But it's been a, a good experience to do, though. Unfortunately, uh, when I first started doing it, I would go out and do an anointing probably about once every other week. But in the past couple of weeks, it's been more about every two or three days. So things are picking up here in Minnesota, and so it's a little bit busier for me. Uh, but it has been a blessing to to do that ministry and be with people and be with their families uh, in those moments. So, and it also is really great to, yeah, they have this this program where you can get a text every time that a priest goes out to anoint someone with COVID. So uh, it's good knowing that there's hundreds. If not maybe thousands, I don't know, of people who pray for me every time that I uh, go out to do the anointing, praying for my safety, praying for the health of the person who's being anointed. So that's a, a really great thing to do, too.
1: I don't have a good word for that. I think that is beautiful and necessary. And I'm so glad that that's able to happen to be able to participate that way for you as a priest, but then also for the people to receive these notifications and to be able to add their prayers to have that immediacy to be able to, to stop and think and pray right then. certainly and it gives you and, a very concrete pray.
0: person to pray for as well, as opposed to mm-hmm. just praying for all the people who are, who have it. But like this person right now who is in the final stages of life due to COVID, I'm praying for that person. Uh, it's, it's kind of nice to have that concreteness.
3: Yeah. I don't get any names. I just say, just say one priest is anointing one person one priest is anointing two people or it might say two priests are anointing two people and so it's kind of generic but every so often father paul will say if you get a text message in the next few minutes it's me i was just sent out on one well that really yeah just to bring it to a more concrete level like
1: that i'm sure do appreciate you guys both coming to visit with us thanks so much yeah Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.